Welcome to Frickety Frack. We do talk back. Thank you for joining us in this episode. Hello, my name is Jeff and I'm Frick. Hello, my name is Patrick and I'm Frack. Frickety Frack, We Do Talk Back is a show airing once a week where we will discuss different aspects of fandom and how they relate to the gospel. Uh, we are going through Star Wars A New Hope and connecting lessons from this movie to teachings of the Bible. Just as many of you are, we are fans of other things as well. So when we finish A New Hope, we'll go in a different direction and look at anything ranging from anime, comics, video games, movies, or other things that we are fans of. We got the name of the show from our father who dubbed us Frickin' Frack since we were kids. This is the second part of Star Wars A New Hope. We left off at part two with Luke being attacked by the Sand Peoples the, the, or the Tusken Raiders. A man in a brown robe takes care of Luke and scares off the Tusken Raiders. And this turns out to be Ben Kenobi. Ben asks Luke why he's out there. And Luke says that he's out there because the droid is looking for his former master and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Luke asks if Ben knows who he is, and it's revealed that Ben and Obi-Wan are one and the same. Obi-Wan takes Luke and the droids to his home. Luke explains his father, you know, he starts with, you know, his father never fought in the wars, but was a navigator on a spice freighter. Obi-Wan said that is not what actually happened. Obi-Wan explains that uh, he and Luke's father fought in the Clone Wars at Je as Jedi Knights. Obi-Wan explains that Luke's father was the best pilot in the galaxy and a cunning warrior and a good friend. He gives Luke his father's old lightsaber, the weapon of a Jedi Knight. Luke asks how his father died, and Obi-Wan explains that a Jedi Knight named Darth Vader, who was his pupil, turned to the dark side and helped, down, helped hunt down the Jedi. He betrayed and murdered Luke's father. Obi-Wan explains that the Jedi are all but extinct, and he also... so he And then he uh, goes over to R2-D2 and sees the rest of the message from Leia, and the message from Leia implores Obi-Wan to help the rebellion and assist her father, uh, just like he did during the Clone Wars. And he wants Luke to join him on Alderaan to help the rebellion. Luke refuses. On the Death Star, it is revealed that the government has been dissolved and fear of the Death Star will keep the people in line. Darth Vader notes that, the sta that this station is nothing compared to the Force and lets all of the people in the Death Star know it. Luke and Obi-Wan come across the remains of the Jawas that sold him C-3PO and R2-D2. Obi-Wan reveals that this was done by stormtroopers. Luke races home to find that his uncle and aunt have been killed by, the same, by those same stormtroopers. Vader begins his interrogation of Princess Leia to find the rebel base. And Luke decides to go with Obi-Wan and to become a Jedi like his father. They arrive at Mos Eisley and are stopped by stormtroopers. As they begin to answer questions, Obi-Wan uses the Force to influence their minds, and they avoid any suspicion. Obi-Wan explains that the Force can affect the weak-minded. They head into the Mos Eisley can Cantina, and while Obi-Wan looks for transport to Alderaan, Luke is attacked, but Obi-Wan handles the situation with his lightsaber. Obi-Wan negotiates with Chewbacca and Han Solo, transportation to Alderaan aboard the Millennium Falcon. And when the deal is complete, Obi-Wan and Luke leave quickly since their earlier attack has drawn the attention of stormtroopers. When Han is about to leave, he's stopped by a bounty hunter named Greedo, who has been hired by Jabba the Hutt. Greedo threatens Han, and Han kills him. Vader reveals his interrogation techniques have not worked on Leia. 
it is announced the Death Star is fully operational, so Grand Moff Tarkin says a new tactic is necessary. Set the course for Alderaan. Han negotiates extra time with, from Jabba the Hutt, and as they begin to board the Millennium Falcon, they are attacked by more Imperials. They escape by going into hyperspace. Tarkin meets with Leia and says that he will destroy her home planet of Alderaan if she does not reveal the hidden location of the rebel base. She does lament and says that the base is located on Dantooine. Tarkin decides to blow up Alderaan because Dantooine is too remote of a location and she's far too trusting. So in one attack, the entire planet of Alderaan is destroyed. So like we did... uh... In the previous episode, uh, we're going to point out some of the special edition changes that happened in this episode, this part of the movie. And there were quite a few because actually the, the most changes uh, happened in this chunk of time. Uh, there was added more time in making Moss Eisley bigger and traveling through it. So there's a lot of um, created scenes using old footage, like old footage of and models of the land speeder having them go through town there's more droids there's more humor and i'm going to use air quotes on that on humor um there's giant creatures in the background um uh, much more so it's just making moss Eisley even bigger than we thought it was like originally like if you go back to the vhs um tapes like the original release of this moss eisley doesn't seem really that big it's it's about the size of you know an extremely small town that only has like one gas station it's like that kind of size uh there's also a droid flying in the background when obi-wan uses the mind trick on the stormtrooper um there's an, a plethora of just more giant creatures and stormtroopers in the background all around moss eisley uh there's the Greedo and Han shot first debate, uh, which the answer to that question is always Han shot first. Um, but then they also, then for Disney Plus, they added Greedo saying McClunky. Is it? Am I saying that right, Jeff? You know what do you what do you think? Is he saying McClunky? I don't. It's something like that. Anyways, it's silly. Um, then the entire scene of Solo and Jabba meeting. Um, was originally shot um, back when the movie was first filmed. And when the special edition came out, they added this scene. And then they touched up the effects on the new, uh, the Millennium Falcon flying out of the space or spaceport. So it's much cleaner. It's, I, and I will say this one of the things too that's different about the scene with Jabba is that Jabba was actually originally, he's in the movie, he's this like slime, you know, slimy kind of like lizard tadpole thing, thing worm worm thing uh in the original version of it it is actually a uh human uh so he's wearing he wears kind of like this like almost like caveman like attire with like a bear you know kind of like bearskin clothes or kind of like almost kind of like craven the hunter like from like craven the hunter's original look from a, from the comics uh, something a little weird like that. So, like for instance, when you watch the special edition with when they changed up Jabba's look to become the um, the kind of like slug thing, um, and in, Re- in Return of the Jedi, 
when you'll when when the actual first appearance of Jabba the Hutt happens or the fish. Uh, well, I mean, that gets muddy. Anyways, so the original version is him that, like is just a man, and so when you watch when Han walks behind Jabba the Hutt, you can actually see them digitally raise Han to walk over Jabba's tail, and he even Jabba even makes that like squealing noise um, when he then Han walks around him. So because originally he just walked around him because it was a human, like there was no tail, there's none of that stuff. Uh, so it's just even further some some further changes happening to the movie um, because of that. Because again, Jabba was originally a man, and so that's you know that's part of the with the line that he says, "You're a wonderful human being." Um, but it's the best part of that whole thing that and Han stepping on Jabba's tail because listen, this was a very nice Jabba because any other version of Jabba. Han would be dead. Um, right. And so, uh, but also the line and the irony that it then became, you are a wonderful human being is actually amazing. And so I find it hilarious and ironic and, uh-huh. and just really funny how, on how they are able to make that work. Could I do without that scene? Absolutely. But that line is wonderful. Right. Um, well, I mean, in all honesty, it's there's a reason why that scene was cut to begin with. Like, because again, like a lot of the conversation is that, a repeat, you know, with Greedo. Like, yeah, it's a repeat of what he spoke with Greedo about. So it doesn't really, it doesn't add a whole lot to the story. The being able to, for Han being able to negotiate, uh, you know, a, a little bit of an extended time since, you know, he's got a big paying job coming up, you know, so it's like, okay. Um, so that so that's nice but it's but 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 still in all honesty it doesn't really add anything uh there is an appearance of boba fett in that in that deleted scene that extended scene the additional scene uh so it is you know so so again it's it's nice to see some continuity as like because when you get into the further movies you know with empire strikes back and then return of the jedi you do see quite a bit of boba fett um the holiday special apparently too uh, yeah, I haven't watched that, and I don't intend to. Yeah, um, me neither. So yeah, so it, it's it's just all interesting that that he he made his way in there. So um, yeah. Um, so one of the the funny things that people have always joked about with Star Wars: A New Hope is how does someone not put the two and two together on Obi Wan and old Ben Kenobi connection? Um, yeah, we can only really just kind of compare it to the Superman Clark Kent, you know, thing where you know, you know, all Superman does is put on glasses and he's Clark, and no one can tell him apart. Um, so it's just kind of like, ugh. yeah, it's, it's just really frustrating. But that's that's one of the crazy things, though, with with this timeline that has that the star Wars movies have become is um, this is only 18 years. So I can't believe like, that's just how powerful propaganda machine the empire had that in 18 years, they were able to completely erase the history of the Jedi that no one even remember them that even the idea of Kenobi was, um, 
you know, forgotten. Like that's just how, I mean, of course it also helps that when you eradicate the entire people of Jedi, there's no one to stand up for them as much and say, no, no, the Jedi did this, blah, blah, blah. Um, so they became right. folklore. Right. Well, I mean, the other thing is too, is that like, when you think about it, like, you know, he was a, a general and that sort of stuff, but I mean, can you name the generals of the military today? No, that's true. So, I mean, it's, it's very easy that his name would kind of go into, um, you know, you know, to be a little hidden, but, you know, so, but the, the, but the fact that he kept the last name that, that has always kind of baffled me. Like, mm-hmm. he, and obviously he has to keep, you know, for, for the sake of the story is the only reason why he still keeps the last name Kenobi because, you know, there's, you know, it's like if, unless he, because, you know, they're searching for Obi-Wan Kenobi. And if, you know, he's been going by Ben, uh, uh, like Ben Sand Sandstorm or something, you know, they would never, or, you know, or whatever, Ben, Ben Smith, it doesn't matter what his last name is. If he's going by something other than Obi-Wan Kenobi, Luke would never have thought, oh, maybe I should try and find the, uh, this Obi-Wan Kenobi. Or, well, I mean, R2 goes searching on his own for Obi-Wan Kenobi, um, but he wouldn't have been like, oh, well, maybe he should try and find Ben Kenobi. Um, so it's just like, for the sake of the story, he kept the same last name, but it, and but logically it doesn't make any sense. Nope, not whatsoever. Yeah, because like when you go into witness protection, I mean, you don't keep your last name. I mean, I don't even think you really keep your first name. Um, no, you don't. Yeah, everything yeah. changes. Yeah, everything changes. So you can't be found. Um, so one of the, the speaking of Obi Wan, so one of the interesting things that you know kind of happens in this uh, uh, part when Obi Wan talks about um, Luke's father, you know, he his face says a, a lot in this scene where it talks where he talks about. Um, his father's death being betrayed by Darth Vader. Um, and so, um, so it's just one of those interesting things where his, his face tells a story and yeah. it just, it just speaks to the, the great acting that Alec Guinness does in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, and it is, it's very subtle the way that he portrays the, when he, when he's portraying Obi-Wan and he's telling the story of you know he's and it's like you can only imagine like the pain that obi-wan is going through as he's having to you know tell luke the truth you know because luke's been lied to by his uncle apparently to you know luke never knew this but he'd been lied to by his uncle the entire time that you know like you know because luke brings up like oh yeah he you know he was just a a spice navigator You, you know he wasn't he wasn't a warrior. He didn't fight in the. He wasn't a warrior. He wasn't a uh, in the in the Clone Wars as a as a Jedi. None of that. He didn't know any. He didn't know any of that. And so Obi Wan having to relive all of that, and you know, and it's, and he does such a great job just saying, you know, telling Luke, you know, like he reliving that, and just like you know, he tells Luke that he's a, you know, his father was a great pilot, just like Luke is, and. A cunning warrior, and then I just love that. I just love this line, and a good friend. 
I just, you know, I just love the way that he delivers that line. It's just, it's phenomenal. Um, and then you can just tell just like how much it's, how much it pains Obi-Wan to tell him that his pupil killed his father. Um, and it's just like, that's, that's something. Can you only, can you only imagine, you know, having to tell somebody that someday is that, Oh yeah. Yeah. Sorry. One of my, you know, and to, you know, to, to meet them later in their life, you know, to meet somebody's kid. It's like, Oh yeah, my, my student killed your dad or like, you know, just like my best friend killed your dad or whatever. You just tell saying something along those lines to somebody just, Oh my gosh, the true pain um, that they're going through. Yeah. And so uh, one of the things I love about movies and especially first ones is when they're able to, um build the world and give you kind of clues like and and enough clues um and enough of a taste to understand the world around you and so um the you know the this board meeting i guess of the death star hierarchy um uh, i kind of take it like it's the meeting of the heads of the pentagon so you know, yeah. like the head of the army, the head of the military, of the air force. You know, it's kind of that's kind of how I take take this particular meeting. Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's actually what it is. Um, uh, people who have done much more much more research on the different individuals at that table know more about that than I do, but I don't care that much. Uh, but anyway, so one of the, Grand Moff Tarkin basically says, you know, the the emperor has gotten rid of the the senate that there's no more senate and and he says like the last remnants of the of the old republic have been swept away and so uh, for those who are slightly familiar with this timeline um that has taken 18 years to get rid of the senate um but i wonder if the emperor uh moved up the process and got decided just like you know what forget it i'm gonna get rid of everybody um because of leia's capture so that's kind of the only kind of it's one it's actually the first time i've thought this i was like oh you know i wonder if they just decided to get rid of the senate because they're just becoming too much trouble so let's get rid of Mm. them all um and so uh so that was kind of like my first time actually really thinking about that i was like oh i wonder if he just was like you know you're gone because you're causing too much trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? And, you know, when we, when you get to see more of the world, yeah, it's just, it's, yeah, it's, and unfortunately, in all honesty, it's, it's really not that much of a stretch in my mind when we look at how the world works and, you know, just how quickly people can turn and, you know, if we're given enough time and enough propaganda, propaganda and you know it can it could easily i could easily see this happening um that it it wouldn't take too long for somebody to really just kind of place themselves in power and go bananas and just get rid of get rid of all this stuff um so we do get i I didn't bring this up in the synopsis but we do get to see the first force choke uh, Vader uh, force chokes one of the guys that's in the meeting room when Grand Moff Tarkin makes the declaration that the Senate has been dissolved and that the regional governors, the other Moffs, 
will now control will now have di- direct control over their space sectors and to uh, rule as they see fit. So Vader uh, and one of the guys gets a little mouthy to Darth Vader and says that, you know, with all of your abilities, with all your power, you haven't been able to find and get a hold of these plans that if that could potentially have a find a weakness to this to the Death Star, which we don't even know if there is a weakness to the Death Star because it's so freaking powerful. And even if they are able to find a weakness, who cares? It's the Death Star. Um, and so, you know, Vader decides to just force choke him. And so he just extends his hand and all of a sudden this guy starts going, um, so <laughs> one of the things that is, uh, one of, you know, one of the things that's nice or what's really cool about dealing with something that is so culturally iconic as star Wars is that there are so many parodies out there. And one of the best ones out there is the robot chicken star Wars specials. And one of the things that they have, they do at Imperial orientation is where they train the new people on how to pretend to be force choked by Vader. So he doesn't remember he has an indestructible light, a laser sword that can cut through anything. Uh, So it's better to just be choked for a little bit than to actually get sliced in half. Yeah, uh, so, so what this, they would do is that you would they would teach you how to die, and then it's like, and two troopers will come take you away, and you'll get a new identity. Um, right. And I was like, uh, because what they were they were joking about is that the force wasn't real, but he has a a light he, his lightsaber can cut through anything. So instead of him just deciding to slice through all of us, we're gonna fake the force. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's funny. And every time I see a force joke, and especially this one. I always think of robot chicken. Um, uh, then one of my other favorite parts that just kind of is funny um, and Moss Eisley, the cantina bar scene is iconic. It's awesome. And they've got the, if, I don't know if you guys, if anyone listening has ever known this, but the blue white glowy thing on the wall is a droid detector. I believe. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. And so it turned on and went uh, or whatever the sound is because, you know, R2 and 3PO walked in and they said, like, ah, your droids, they got to wait outside. We don't serve their kind here. And I was like, and watching this, I've always been like, why are they racist against droids? But you find out the backstory to the bar owner, uh, his he had a loved one who died in the clone wars and was killed by the droid army. So he, um, hates droids. Um, and so, uh, so therefore he is a droid racist, whatever term you want to use with that. And so that's Mm -hmm. why it's funny when in the Mandalorian, when, uh, there's an episode where he goes to Tatooine and he goes to Mos Eisley and there is in fact a droid, operating the bar at that cantina um so that's just kind of like beautiful little irony and it's funny well i mean the other thing is too is that you know when you think about masaiza cantina you know obi-wan makes this great this um point about the about masaiza is that you'll never find a greater hub of slime and villainy you know so it's like so it's very so shady underhanded people are meeting in this town like this is the whole purpose of this town for the most part is that uh things that people don't 
you don't want other people to know the things that you're doing, you do that most wisely. Well, what are, you know, it's like, well, think about all the different capabilities of droids. They're, they're basically like, they can be potentially be walking recorders, you know? So why on earth, when you're a bar that's known for being able to have shady things happen, would you have, um, you know, why would you allow droids in there? Just from a practical point of view, not even going into this, you know, this backstory uh, for the bar owner, but it's just like, it just makes sense. You know, it's like, it's the same thing when you go to, you know, you can go to certain places and they tell you, it's like, no, you got to leave your phone here. You can't bring that in here. Uh, we don't want you recording anything or leaking any. You know, it's like they do this at like press stuff sometimes when there's like, you know, they're releasing some information and, and they want it to stay hidden, you know, like non disclosure agreements. It's like, no, you can't have your phone. Got to get rid of that. That's so true. it makes it honestly, it makes sense. It's a practical thing in all honesty. That's um, true. And, and in all honesty, it's a part of the reason why, too, is just like, you know, dude got his arm lopped off by a lightsaber. <laughs> You know, this, the music stops for like five seconds. They're like, uh, is this fight going any further? Do we need to make a run for it? Uh, no, fight's over, done. Good. We'll go back to playing. Because again, it's a place where shady, underhanded things happen. Fights break out. People get killed. Uh-huh. In fact, underhanded in fact, Greedo, get, yeah, yeah, no longer having a hand. In fact, Greedo gets killed like five minutes later. You know, so it's just like, it's not like this doesn't happen a lot. And all he uh, had to do to get out of being in trouble is tip the bartender. Yeah. And you, well, you know, Obi-Wan is about to drop two grand on, you know, a trip to Alderaan. So, you know, it's not like they had a lot of money to bribe the guy. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, so it, it's just, it's the, the Moss Eisley Cantina scene is just, you're right, Patrick. It is absolutely iconic. It is phenomenal. Uh, so much great stuff that happens in the scene. And I will not emphasize, I cannot emphasize this enough. Han shot first. I don't care about George Lucas's revisionist history nonsense. Han shot first. And it actually makes him for, it makes a cooler character arc in, in the grand scheme of things with Han shooting first than Greedo. Because if you think about it, Han is an unsavory character. He is a uh, smuggler. He gets in trouble with the law. And it, you know, so it's like, so this guy, this Greedo is out to, to capture him and get money off of the bounty reward and threatens to turn him, you know, threatens to, you know, wants the money or, you know, and then, and then he goes after you, you can say a lot of things and do a lot of things to Han. You do not mess with the Millennium Falcon when he says, Oh, maybe Jabba will only keep, you know, well, you know, it's like maybe if you talk to Jabba, the only thing he'll do is keep your, you know, keep the Millennium Falcon, take the Millennium Falcon away from you. And he's like over my dead body and then shoots him. But then, you know, George Lucas didn't like that, that it takes, you know, makes Han look like a bad guy or whatever, <laughs> or too mean or whatever. And uh, so then they added in the random little blaster bolt. Um, that, that he was, dodges. That doesn't even really dodge. He just his head tilts to the side, and uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's just nonsense. It's just nonsense. Yeah. Han shot first. I wholeheartedly uh, agree, and I'm good with Greedo not even getting a shot off. Um, yep. Uh, and so this, you know, once again, the whole building of a world kind of thing. Um, 
we get the idea that a ship can you can almost buy a ship for ten thousand something. Ten thousand credits. Right. But we don't get the name of the money, um, the, the way they move their currency yet. And so it's ten thousand can get you a ship. Almost, almost. gets you a ship. So here's my question. How much does a ship cost? Well, it kind of depends. It would, I would imagine, you know, it's just like with cars. It kind of depends on the ship. Right. Um, but, I mean, it's just it's just funny that we kind of get this. That it's like, oh, man, he's charging this much for fare where they get well, and it, and it might ship with. Yeah, and it depends. And the other thing is, too, is that you have to remember, too, Luke is a poor farmer. It's not like he's living a rich, extravagant lifestyle. So, you know, it's like, so you could tell somebody, it's like, yeah, here's, you know, so let's talk in U.S. currency. Here's $10,000. Well, $10,000 could get you um, a used car. And, you know, it could be, you know, depending on the type of car, it might be a little nice. And But more than likely, it's not the nicest new car. Um so, whereas a brand new car would, can cost you, and again, depends on the car, can cost you quite a bit. Um, so, and, and again, we don't know like what type of ship that Luke is potentially thinking of, uh, but you know, it's just yeah. well, yeah, the, it's, just you're like right. you said with also him being a poor farmer, you know, his idea of what something costs is pro- could very well be different to what something actually costs. Like, you know, I think of. Um, you know, when, you know, when Jeff and I first started driving, um, our favorite gas station, it was 88 cents a gallon. And now it's, you know, it's almost three times that it is three times that good grief. Um, if not just a little bit more and get price per gallon. And it's one of those things that actually makes me appreciate that Jeff and I shared a car when we first started driving in high school. It was very much easier to keep our ga- our gas tank filled because it was eighty eight cents. I don't think we could have we wouldn't drive we wouldn't have driven nearly as much if it was two forty <laughs> when we started driving. Right. Um, so anyway, so that might be it too. That Luke, you know, just like you said, Luke is so poor that he just does not actually know how much things cost. And so, and one of the other things too that we see through this half hour, not as much because again, the, the focus is shifting much more away from C3PO and R2D2 because the, the, the plot has been uh, started and the focus is now shifting towards Luke. And, but 3PO still has his moments where he's, you know, just again, just being kind of rude to R2D2, where it's just like, all you know, it's just like you know the the moment where you know C three PO tells R two D two, it's like, oh yeah, by the way, all this is probably your fault. And it's just like, what you know, it's just like just because Imperials were walking around, it's R two D two, it's R 2s fault. How? Why? Why? He's just he, he's just the constant shift blamer, and just like you know, it uh, just uh, he just he, he can drive me nuts sometimes. Oh yeah. So our uh, biblical theme. Uh, for this particular episode comes from Judges chapter 6, verse 15. And uh, this dealing with the uh, part of the story with Gideon. And uh, the, the book of Judges is actually a very fascinating book. Uh, if you haven't spent any time in it. But it's a, it's a book that what happens is that each generation, what happens is that some, and with 
within a generation, what happens is the people of Israel fall away from God, start worshiping other gods, and stop and no longer act as they're supposed to be as Israel. So what would happen is that God would appoint a judge to help lead the the people back into the right and help uh, guide Israel to be to continue to be the followers that God had intended them to be. And so Gideon, uh, God has chosen Gideon as his new uh, judge, and this is his response. Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replies, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. So in, in this entire encounter with Gideon and uh, the angel that God has sent to tell Gideon, the angel comes to tell Gideon, he's like, listen, you're, you're the new judge, um, basically. And he's like, what? No, thank you. Um, and so uh, through this, you know, Gideon barters. He wants a he wants a sign. He's like, well, give me a sign. And God obliges. He's like, wait, wait, wait. Give me another sign. God obliges. Gideon says, well, give me one more sign. He's like, God obliges. Um, and this is this is just kind of pattern with Gideon is that he's like, you just give me a little bit more. He's like, God does. God helps him and encourages him and empowers him to keep doing these things despite the fact that. Gideon keeps hesitating. Um, uh, and so for me, one of the things that I, I love to do in sermons and and teachings, uh, you know, just like what we've been doing with this podcast, I do this with my sermons from time to time, where I'll take people from the Bible and then compare them to superheroes or Star Wars characters. And I've been thinking about this for, you know, a long time. And I was like, Man, Luke and Gideon just match up really pretty well, especially this part where, you know, Obi-Wan tells Luke, he's like, you know, I'm getting too old for this. I I, I need you to come with me to to help her and, and you need to come to come with me to Alderaan. And he just comes with he's like, I've got work to do. He's like, you're getting the opportunity to leave this life behind. And the first thing you think of, I've got work to do. I'm in for it as it is. And I'm just like, all you've been wanting to do, like when, you know, he talks with Uncle Ellen, he's like, you know, think about me staying on another season. Well, how about I submit my application to the Academy this year? And he's like, no, I need you to stay on. I need you just one season more. And he's like, I'm, he's not, he's, and so he's finally given the opportunity to get out and do something important. And he, and he doesn't take it at first. And then on top of it, um, he's like, it's, and the worst yet is he realizes the empire is bad. They're not, it's not good. He even says he hates the empire. He's like, it's just so far from me. It's nothing what I can do. Just like what Gideon says is like, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And on top of that, he's the least in his family. And for us as Christians, we have that same responsibility. We're going to be called up to do something for the kingdom. We don't know how. We don't even know when. But we can't shy away from it. We cannot just say, you know what? 
not this time. You know, I'm, I'm not worthy. I'm not worth it. You, you're calling the wrong person. If God's calling you, you're the right person for the job. And so we shouldn't shy away like Gideon did and the way Luke did here. Um, instead, let's step up and answer the call and, and do the work that God asks of us. Yeah, it's one of the things that's really important to understand when it comes to your walk with God is that you're going to feel, there are going to be times that you're going to feel inadequate, that you're not worthy, uh, that you don't um, measure up. And that's the exact opposite of what how God wants you to view yourself. And in fact, that's kind of sometimes kind of the point is that it's like, you know what, there's no way on earth that this makes any sense that he, that God would pick you. And that's part of the point is that God is choosing somebody that, you know, you wouldn't expect, like, for instance, let's take David. David is uh, not very big. Uh, he's very, he's, you know, he's healthy and he's a good shepherd, but you know, he's this tiny little guy and goes up against Goliath. And uh, so it's just, it's something that, and then, you know, the, the story is very famous and very well known in that fact that, yes, David does defeat Goliath. And Goliath is this nine-foot giant, this uh, entire incredibly fearsome warrior that nobody else was willing to fight. But with, um, but with uh, God on his side, David is able to conquer the giant and be able to conquer Goliath. And so it's that same thing that it's the same thing that Gideon is going through here. Gideon is the is Manasseh is considered the, the least tribe in Israel, and for those of you that don't know, uh, is, Israel at the time was divided into um, twelve tribes, and Manasseh was the smallest of the tribes. And so, not so okay. So now, first of all, God is choosing somebody from the smallest tribe, and so and then He goes and chooses somebody from the least important family, Gideon's family. And then not only does he pick somebody from the least family, he picks the least of the least and he picks Gideon. And so um, to be the judge for over Israel. So it's that same thing. It's just that same thing. It's that God is capable of so many great things and he wants everyone to accomplish great things for his name and for his, for his kingdom. And yet it's, through unlikely means that he's going to do it. And so in that same way, when you feel like you're inadequate, that you're not worthy, that's all the more reason for you to embrace what God has called you to do. And all of the good works that you're capable of do not feel like you're inadequate because God has chosen you to do great things. And that's something that's so important for our walks to, to, for us to get behind and to try and accomplish is that we, we do have, so many great things uh, ahead of us that God has called us to do. And we just have to be willing to do it. Alrighty. So um, how would you rate this 30 minute ish segment? Um, this is even, honestly, this is even better than the first half. And, you know, as the story progresses and we're reaching that uh, the you know, we end with this, you know, we, we ended our, our podcast with part of the movie with the, with the climax of this particular episode, um, particular movie with the destruction of Alderaan. Um, so the story has been building all up until this point. Um, and so to me, this is an easily a 4.75. Uh, for me, um, I'm going to go with, 
Um, although there's there's not a lot of action in this, I'm going to give it a four, uh, just because the character moments are great. You're seeing the 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 beginning of his journey uh, towards being a hero. And that's always inspiring. I always like seeing where people get started in their hero's journey. And this is always, and this is a good one where Luke, he's like, you know what? Uh, I mean, unfortunately he really had no other choice than other to be a hero um, at this point, because his aunt and uncle are gone. Um, his farm is basically destroyed. So there's no saving it. And he doesn't really want to save it because he's not a farmer. Um, and, so, you know, but he's like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do it and I'm going to become a Jedi. And so I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it a four. I think it's really great. It's really good. Uh, and it's for all those same reasons that I gave it a 4.75. The character moments are great. The world building is phenomenal. Just the, the intrigue, the uh, suspense, like how like how are they going to handle a walking death machine of a, a a planet it's a it's a planet killer literally that that we're dealing with here and so it's just like how how are we going to be and how are they going to be able to um you know what's going to happen what what's going to happen with with them going to alderaan and alderaan literally just blew up um so it's just it's it's phenomenal stuff that I'm just looking forward. You know, it's like, it's so great to talk about and it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the story uh, progresses. So we have a, a question. So before um, the Star Wars, we, we went into our Star Wars theme, we asked for uh, questions. And so we actually, you know, we, we, we received one. And so it's from John Strother. And he asked, who really is Luke's father? Okay. And so we did answer this a little bit in this in the synopsis. And also when we were discussing, when we were talking with about Obi-Wan, uh, you know, talking to Luke at, at his home. So what does get revealed in within the first so far within the first hour of the movie is that Luke's father was a Jedi. He was an incredible pilot and a, an incredible warrior. And he was a good friend of Obi-Wan's. And unfortunately, what one of the things that is revealed in uh, the first hour of the movie is that Luke's father was killed uh, by uh, Obi by Obi Wan's former pupil uh, Darth Vader. And so, one of the things that we're kind of looking at is, you know, technically speaking, Uncle Owen is actually his father. And this way, well, you know, we're looking at the the Guardians of the Galaxy two um, quote. You know, it was like, you know, be someone can be your father, but it doesn't mean they're they're, they're your daddy. And so, um, you know, Uncle Owen is, is, in a way, is Luke's father because he spent 18 years raising him. Now, once again, I'm also going to go back to Guardians of the Galaxy 2. And um, it's not like uh, Michael Rooker's character was that great of a father figure because he did threaten to eat him like every day. Um, and Uncle Owen really probably wasn't that great of a dad because, you know, he, you know, Luke you know, resented being there, didn't really like it, you know, it was boring, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's one of those things. So, um, uh, but, and, and then one of the things that we're going to see as this particular movie pro progresses as well, we're also going to see the profound impact that Obi-Wan, uh, 
we'll begin to have on Luke. Uh, we haven't really quite got there yet outside of the fact that Obi-Wan is taking Luke under his wing. And, you know, Obi-Wan's made it clear that it's like, you know, you need to come with me and then become a Jedi. And so you can see that as it's progressing, that Obi-Wan is going to have a huge impact on Luke's life as well. Um, so it's so to answer the question of who's Luke's father, there, there you go. Uh, Luke's father was a former Jedi, uh, was killed by Darth Vader. And, you know, if you want to talk about who his daddy is, uh, you know, you can make a strong argument for both Owen Lars and Obi-Wan Kenobi. So thank you for your question, John. Uh, anyone with questions for us about the biblical lessons that we've talked about in this episode or anything else of the Star Wars stuff, uh, please, you know, send us emails, anything like that. And we'd love to discuss it. And, but you could also send us anything any kind of questions, anything ranging from anime, comics, uh, other Star Wars stuff. Uh, so feel free to email us at fricketyfracktalkback at gmail.com or reach out to us on Twitter at fricketyf or fricketyfrack on Instagram and Facebook. Know that we love you. Most importantly, God loves you. The Force will be with you always. And Hot Shot first.